Okay, stop it right there. Oh. Ooh, we we have to stop it right there. Wow. Are we finally getting new music? No, no, we're not getting new music. Oh. I just don't have time to play all of that right now. <laughs> we have so much to talk about, Maddie. <laughs> All right, let's do it. I'm, I'm keen. Let's get down to it. All right. Welcome to Making It So, a Get Into Geek podcast. This is our episode nine. Uh, we're covering Star Trek Picard, season three, episode nine, Vox. This, is, this has gone full like meta in terms of like shows back when the next generation were around had the really long like two minute intros. And now all the new shows just have like those quick Picard, Picard. intros. We've done it. We've come full circle. And I didn't even think about that we've before become, I did it. We've become one of them. Anyway, I'm your host, Craig, and my co-host, Maddie. Hi. Mate. Wow. That was a lot. Okay. Let's not get into spoilers just oh, yet. Okay. All right. Because I have something I quickly need to talk about before we get into mm. this. But first... Sir, I protest. I am not a merry man. You're just finding any excuse to play that fucking grab, aren't you? Well, I'm not a merry man today. Oh. Because... Maddie and I just watched this episode, but earlier in the day, mm. someone on Instagram decided to DM me mm. and they DM'd me two memes that were two spoilers for this episode. Dick move. Like the episode's been out like for the world, like less than 24 hours. And for hearing us in Australia, it's been out for what, five hours or something? Yeah. And like, I try to stay away from spoilers for these episodes before yeah, I, I watch I, them. I stay off Twitter on like the day of, I stay off Twitter uh, and Instagram and stuff like that, so I don't get spoiled. But if someone sends me a DM, I'm like, oh, I'll read this. Hmm. But straight up, it was two memes that spoiled a couple of things for me, and I was pretty pissed about that. Damn. But saying that, seeing them, it didn't spoil the episode for me. But just remember, people, it's it's the same as sex. You've got to get consent. You know, if you want to send something I like that. I see what that, you did there. Yeah, you got to get consent. All right, so let's get back into it. Yeah, we're talking Picard Season 3, Episode 9, Vox. Mm. All right, shall we read the synopsis? Let's, Let's get on with it. Okay, a devastating revelation about Jack alters the course of Picard's life and uncovers a truth that threatens every soul in the Federation. Picard and his crew race to save the galaxy from annihilation at a gut-wrenching cost. Writers Sean Treader, uh, Kylie Rossiter, Akiva Goldsman, and directed by... One, Terry Metalis. Saving all the good stuff for himself. Yeah, it's a bit greedy. That, again, that, that has to be one of the most generic uh, synopsises we've ever read. It like, is quite generic. But You could literally read that for any episode this season so far. Have Sean Treader and Kylie Rossiter written any of these episodes before? Their names, names don't sound familiar. They're not sounding familiar at all. Right. All right. Anyway, during this talk, we get into heavy, heavy spoilers. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you have not seen this episode... Don't listen any further. Yeah. All right. And f- normally I say if you want to be spoiled, you know, keep listening. You do not want to be spoiled for this episode. Pause it. Go sit on your couch and watch this episode. Or if you're one of those lucky people in America that can go watch these last two episodes in IMAX. Did you know that that was the thing? Oh, okay. So if you're in the US, you can watch uh, this week's and next week's episodes on an IMAX screen. And As that, one, or do you have to like go this week to IMAX and then? I go think next you go week this week IMAX. and next week. But just with what we've just watched, how cool would that be? That would like, be I've basically it. got an IMAX screen here. Oh come on, <laughs> the TV's good. It's not that good. Come on now. No, but still, like, imagine seeing what we just saw on an IMAX screen. Yeah, that would be very, very cool. massively cool. I did spend a lot of time standing up, like three inches from your TV, 
Um, you are blind though. Yes. Uh, but there was just so many things in there to look at. So so my watch my measures my heart rate and everything. And through that episode, my max heart rate, like my normal resting heart rate, six at about 65 to 68 around mm-hmm. there. It got to 102 just watching that episode. Just, and who says it's not a workout? <laughs> oh, anyway. Oh, interesting. I just, while you were chatting there, I was Googling um, IMDb being the writers. Yeah. Um, the Kylie chick um, has, oh no, wait, that's a miscellaneous credit. She has a miscellaneous credit on um, season one of Picard. Yeah, right. Okay. And then she has, she has writing credits. Oh, she's redeemed herself here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, interesting. All right, so Maddie, mm. that episode right there, yeah, that is one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek ever, of any series. All right, that'll easily be in the top ten. I can see that for you. Obviously, I'm a big Next Generation fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I said to you, like, if if that if there was a Voyager version of that episode or a DS9 version of that episode, I would be a crying mess on the floor. Like it was, that's what like season one should have been. Mm-hmm. Like Definitely. That's, yeah. That was modern enough, but enough nostalgia, but not like over nostalgia and sappy. And like, like, a, like me as someone who doesn't, obviously I'm a massive Trek nerd, but I don't have as big a connection to next generation as you do. But even I was like, yeah, well, oh, wow, this, oh, wow, that, oh, wow, that, you know, a lot of really, really enjoyable stuff while still moving the story forward and giving us... Well, we finally got some closure on some of these things that we've been wanting. Oh, hell, freaking Lou. The Red Door. Okay, like, we now understand what the Red Door has led to. Yes. I called it. I called it how many episodes ago? Probably it's the one episode. thing. It's the the one Borg. Thing. Yeah. The Borg are back. Jack's but Borg. not exactly the Borg that we're used to. Mm. So... They grew... They, he... he they they flew here. He grew here. Anyway, he's, I see what you're trying to do there. Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> like he's a genetic boy. He didn't have to be assimilated. He's he's. Oh, do you know what he is? Twenty twenty three. It's perfect. What? He's a Borg Nepo baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm done. I'm out. Okay. It's, it's not getting any better. Matty's done. I'm done. I'll see you next week. Okay. Well, I started calling uh, Jack Jacutus. I could. Oh. <laughs> dad, dad joke activated right there. Uh, I'm a dad, so I'm allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm allowed the dad bod too, so <laughs> working no. on it. Oh, th- this whole episode, yeah, from start to finish, like it started obviously with Deanna talking to Jack uh, and her inside his mind, and then Deanna opens the door. Mm. And as soon as she opened that door, the action just, the level of action just went up mm. and the member berries just, it was from start to finish. It was just, wow. It was, it was clever, but it was also a bit of a dick move that they made, Bev, uh, made Deanna do in like Deanna's like literally like, I'm here, Jack. I'm not going away. Whatever we discover behind that door, I'm with you. You're not alone. The door cracks open. She's like, I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> Saying that though, a counselor has a duty that if someone is a threat, they have to do something about it. But she was scared. Yeah, like, she was. Yeah. First and foremost, she was terrified. So um, it's it's good in that it go it it's clever in that you go okay. Deanna is like whatever it is, we'll face it together. But when it's the Borg, she's like 
I'm fucking out of here. Like that's the level of terror that she has when it comes to the Borg. Um, so I get they're doing that element of it, but it's also a little bit of just like, oh, bitch. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like every time they put her in the helm of, of an Enterprise, she crashes it. And then every time something like this, she's just like pieces out. <laughs> so I'm like, they're doing her a little bit dirty, but it kind of works. Like it, it tracks, like it makes sense. She she plays that fear so well as well. Yeah. Like, and hand, hats off to uh, Ed Spielers or Spillers, however you say his name. Mm. His acting in this was brilliant. Yeah. Like he, he was given, I, like that to me doesn't look like easy acting to do either. And he nailed it. Yeah, got it. It escalated very, very quickly. I think he was, like, in terms of the way it was written for him, I think he was maybe going to attend too quickly. Like, um... I don't know. Deanna... Well, it's like, Deanna didn't actually unlock anything in him because I assumed when Deanna sees the Borg cube in his mind, you would assume he's seen it as well. But he doesn't know. He doesn't know anything No, she managed to go in deeper, didn't she? Yeah, like, and you see, and it does make sense visually it tracked because she, like, walked away. If he stayed in the corridor, she walked closer towards the door and she opened the door. So then, you know, she runs and tells Beverly and Picard that it's the Borg. Jack doesn't know. Picard's the one that breaks it to him. But it's not like Deanna unlocked anything in his mind and suddenly he's just like gone real arch and real like suddenly, oh, I'm Borg, the Borg's taking me over, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like... Yeah, because last week he was worried about being a changeling and he's yeah. like, I've, I've never changed. Yeah, and I'm just like, bro, calm down. Like, and that's probably one of my... and I think it's probably the episode where I have the least amount of notes in terms of things that I would uh, tweak a little bit. But the only thing that I think... That actually says a lot to me about the episode. Yeah, 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 absolutely. (laughs) Um, The only thing I think about that is Beverly should have been there. I I know they're trying to develop this relationship. The father-son dynamic. Yeah, the father-son, Picard and Jack and all that kind of stuff. But I think Beverly in the last couple of episodes has suffered because of that. Like, when was the last time Beverly and Jack had a scene just the two of them together? You know what I mean? Like, when have they... They haven't had a chance to catch... Like, obviously, we've been watching this now for, you know, two and a half months. In, yeah, nine episodes. In, yeah. in show, it's been, what, maybe a week? You know? If something that, like yeah. that. So, it's like, when have Jack and Beverly, who've been to, essentially together for the last 20 years in their own little secret club... Um, Which one of them didn't know about. Yeah. <laughs> and so, it's like, well, like, when have they had a chance to touch base? Like, that's the only person he's ever known. So, I feel like... He wouldn't have spiraled as much if Beverly and Picard would have gone to him together, you know. So I don't know. Maybe it's my own things, my own mother issues. But I'm just like I feel like Beverly should have been there for that conversation. Uh, it, I, would, I, it would have it would have um, softened the blow a little bit. But then also I understand from a writing point of view, it was more her dramatic. Not, her not being there allows him to go to ten, and then you know he he basically throws a wobbly and. Runs off the ship, yeah. Well, so I, 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 that's why they did it. But I just think in universe, it it kind of takes away some of Beverly's agency, considering like she was so important in the first episode. It was almost like, oh, this is going to be the Beverly show. And I feel like she's just the more we get the other characters, the more she's falling by the wayside, which is a little bit of a disappointment for me. Okay, I can see that. Um, but yeah, I think it's sort of added to it that because Jean Luc was the only one that you know apart from Seven, of course, that's experienced that assimilation and come back from it. Yeah. And I think him 
sitting down and explaining to Jack that basically he's been assimilated to an extent because of him. I, I really do yeah, understand that that is. Who's the one that freed Jean-Luc from the collective and removed all his Borg components and like kept him alive? Yeah. Jack's mother. Yeah, like that's she true. Sh- she should have been there. But they needed her to not be there so that he could throw a tantrum when we get off the ship. He so, did throw a bit of a tantrum, didn't he? Absolutely. He took over two more like Ensign guys and then fucking ran off the ship. So. Yeah, so within Jack is an organic style of Borg. Hmm. And obviously I thought, and a lot of other people have thought online, the red eyes were par Wraith. Hmm. But now that I've seen this episode... Because normally Borg are associated with the colour green. Correct. Right. Now, it makes sense to me now, the red eyes with the, like the red blood vessel, like the brainy, like the viney tendril tendril things. Yeah. That makes sense to me that it's red and it's like a a different type of Borg. Like how many... It's organic. Yeah, it's an organic Borg. Like how many different species have the Borg assimilated? Like a lot. Like... Correct. What's the highest number of species? What like obviously we know of like species uh, eight four seven two. Over ten thousand. There yeah. is in season five of Voyager. There's a species like one zero zero two six or something like. Yeah, that. and I'm so, picking. There's probably a lot more than that. Well, yeah, and that was twenty years ago. As yeah, well. yeah. So, at least one of those species that they have assimilated is able to do basically what we've seen in this episode and have like a organic collective. I mean, I don't even know if it's specifically. Um, related to one particular species, it's like the Borg have always been a combination of, um, like machine meets organic. Like it's the the two can't exist separately. So it, it always tracked for me. Like I I can in my brain there's like a an internal logic where I buy everything about Jack being like a genetic descendant Borg thing yeah, much easier than I've been able to wrap my head around understanding what like the Golem is and these new types of like the, the, um, what were the twins from season one? What were the girls' names? Uh, Soji. Yeah. Soji. Yeah, yeah. Like whatever they are, I still don't completely understand like an organic synth, Well, the, but the, I completely get organic Borg. Like hmm. that, that to me in my mind, that totally makes sense. Yep. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think that's fantastic. And it's I think it's the one thing that I've guessed this whole season that's come to fruition. Yeah, so, so when the Borg turned Jean-Luc into Locutus of Borg, mm. they also left this little fragment, I guess, and changed his DNA slightly. Mm. And over time, it grew. And obviously, he had the what they thought was the Eremotic Syndrome. Yeah. And him and Beverly have had Jack and that DNA... Um, changed DNA has been passed on to Jack, yeah, and he yeah. he's like a first generation of. Ooh. I just remembered something. What? Go on, say it. Well, it, they probably won't do it, but there's another person in the Star Trek universe like Jack. Who? Miral Paris. Oh. Balana, Tuvok, yes. and Janeway were assimilated during Matrix Unimatrix Zero. The only way they could buy it back is that they had those neural blockers in there that didn't allow them to become fully part of the collective. Well, and Locutus probably got all the really good shit. Oh yeah, but, but yeah. you look if you look at Janeway, Tuvok, and Seven, uh, Janeway, Tuvok, and Balana, they all got fully assimilated. Like they would have been part of the collective as long as Locutus was. Like Locutus was only a Borg for a couple of days. Do you think though um, that maybe like they held certain things back 
from like regular drones and gave Locutus more like the coin? No, I, I don't think anything that's happening now was intentional by the Borg. I think this is all just happenstance, convenience. It's just something that no one could have predicted. So you don't reckon it's, the Borg deliberately programmed this in no. as like a failsafe? I think this is just a side effect. It's oh. just an unforeseen side effect. Okay, well, I'm I'm thinking that they programmed it in as a failsafe because like I don't know how many times have we seen the Borg now try to take out you know Earth and you know the Federation and they failed every time at every turn. But, but that was like best of both worlds was their first attempt at attacking Earth. They didn't know they were going to fail. So why would they build in a backup plan when they never thought we could take Locutus back anyway? Or maybe they knew about it because of uh, all the temporal stuff that goes on. And it's a stretch. It is. It is a bit of a stretch. I just, I just like the idea of it just being just a, a confluence of things that shouldn't join together do. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Seven I think is a different situation because she was assimilated as a child. She grew up. Uh, she still has Borg implants inside her. She still has nanoprobes inside her. Whereas Jean-Luc doesn't. Correct, yeah. So, and I always wondered about this scene from First Contact. Let's have a quick listen. Mr. Hawk, pursuit course. Engage. Aye, sir. And I always wondered why Jean-Luc could hear them. Like, it was oh, always really? a, it was always a thing with me because I knew that he didn't have any implants left and he didn't have any nanoprobes left or anything like that. And I always wondered why he could hear them. But I just was like, ah, it's a movie, oh. whatever. I always, but I, now this makes sense. Yeah, well, yeah, in my mind, watching First Contact, it's always been something remained. Maybe it's that Stargate person where it's like nothing of the host remains. <laughs> yeah. It's like something of the Borg will always remain um, well, as and part of him. They did. But it was also played in a, very, in a very ambiguous way because at the beginning of First Contact, you have those jump cuts where he's dreaming. And it's yes. like, okay, is it a dream? Is it a memory? Is it he's being contacted? It's kind of played in a very vague choose your own adventure but, way. But now sort of, I guess, you know, retconning in a certain way. Yeah. Like... They're, they're this just, is built into him. They're, yeah, they're just confirming what they alluded to in First Contact. If you're someone who never watches Picard and and doesn't think that thinks that everything Picard was hearing in First Contact was just like post traumatic stress, him reliving anxiety and that kind of stuff, that's great. That's not going to ruin your head canon. But then if you're someone who is watching Picard and is enjoying it, you're going to see this and go, yeah, that tracks. That's yeah. they hinted at it in First Contact twenty years ago, oh, nearly thirty years ago now. I guess it was what ninety five when oh, First was Contact it? came oh. out. I don't know. I'm gonna have to look that up. Hang on. It was, <laughs> I think it was ninety five, and then Instruction was ninety seven, maybe or wow. ninety six and ninety eight. Nemesis was two thousand and two. Ninety six was Star Trek 96. First Contact. Yeah, so Instruction must have been ninety eight, and then Nemesis was two thousand and two. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So that all tracks. That's really interesting. And yeah, it, it doesn't. I don't bump up against any of it. In that, yeah, there was something left behind in Picard that oh, definitely we couldn't we couldn't detect as humans at the time we couldn't detect. Yeah, well, like they said, it's, like it's coalesced into these growths in his body that we as dumbass humans thought di- was irremotic syndrome. Irremotic syndrome. Turns out it's you know, um, for lack of a better word, nanoprobes like coalescing in his body in a way that we can't detect, um, and it's something that remains in him that he's passed on to. 
the next generation. But then the changelings have taken that out of Picard's body. Yes. And they have programmed that part of his DNA, which is... Well, normally... So, as they explained it in the episode there, the transporters have DNA sequences that are common to everyone in, like, humans or Vulcans or whatever, Mm. different species. Cookies, basically. Saved into the transporter buffer. And I guess that helps because when they transport someone they basically destroy you and remake you yeah. somewhere else yeah so they have to rebuild your dna that's there i look at it as the 21st century version of cookies it's like you know when you go to a website it saves certain elements of like of the website settings, settings of the website, yeah. all that kind of stuff so it's like the transporters do that and it's like okay we know every human is at least 75 percent this and then every individual is yeah every human 70 percent water yeah yeah so it's yeah, that, that all kind of tracks me. The thing I think I'm going to have trouble with, depending on how they answer it or if they answer it next week in the final episode, is Beverly had what I think is an incorrect assumption that the changelings and the Borg are working together to yes. do this. Yeah, I think that that could be wrong. I think but- that's a false summation because I, I can't... A, changelings think they're so far beyond solids and at the end of the day the borg are still solids i think the changelings discovered that this dna thing happened yes and then it is inadvertently caused them to be contacted by the borg but who's oh i don't think they've had any who's the hand face dude is the hand face fucking dude a borg i don't think so i i don't think the 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 changelings and the Borg are working together at all. So who's the hand face dude? Because we didn't get I any think, resolution on that. I think he's another changeling. He's like a boss changeling or whatever. Well, he did say your um, people as well. So yeah, which could still be the the slightly changed changelings, like the True. Those new versions of changelings. Um, I can't see the Borg and the changelings working together. I, I don't like that. I in in my mind, the way it makes the most sense is for the changelings had infiltrated Starfleet anyway, to take it down. They've discovered this information about Picard and come up with this plan and they've gone, you know what? You tried to wipe out our entire civilization by by infecting us with this um, mm. mutagenic virus. Morphogenic virus, sorry. Um, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to use this to infect your people and your greatest, well, second group, well, I guess whether they consider themselves their greatest enemy or the Borg, their greatest enemy. Like, we're going to use this to assimilate and you know we find at the end of the episode it, what they've been doing only affects people under the age of 25 just a little bit of a stretch but beverly kind of brought it back with the formation of your the thing yeah, in your the brain, brain yeah and like kind of stuff so it's like the the changelings i think their intent is like well you tried to end our civilization if we take away every single person in like under 25 our species is gone yeah i mean Picard, obviously, and Beverly had a kid well into their 60s or 70s without a problem. But, they, ooh, but I see what yeah. they're doing. Um, I don't I don't think I like the idea of, of, yeah, like the changelings and the Borg getting in cahoots. I think they both consider themselves too superior to everything else. Oh, definitely. Else. I, I think they're too hubris to want to be able to work with each other. I think it was just a, a, a convenient... Like the the changelings stumbled across this information. Has a changeling ever been assimilated by the Borg? That we know of? No. I don't think so. No. Uh, well, I mean, if the Borg couldn't assimilate Species 8472, 
Um, so perhaps they can't assimilate a changeling. Maybe the, the nanoprobes have got nothing to to latch on like to. Like adhere to, yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm interested to see how they wrap that up because I think either it could it could go either way. They could wrap it up in a nice little bow. But I think, yeah, if the Borg Queen and Vatic have actually had conversations at some point, I think I'll be disappointed. Anyway, behind that red door was... A vision of a Borg cube, or I'm looking at it thinking it's more than a Borg cube and like several, or it's an entire Borg base. Maddie, you still think no, it's no, just one cube, don't you? That's two different things. So the thing in the door, like behind the door, was just one. Oh, board, it was one just one cube, cube. Yeah. You're talking about later on when yeah, Jack less, yes. later on and runs away and ends up. It's weird. It's like it's more than one cube. We, there. we didn't see it, but they talk about him. It sounded like he just discovered a transwarp conduit, like some, something had opened up, but it's like that part had already happened and he was already in this nebula where this Borg construct is. To, no, me, it, to me, it just looked like a... To me, because he could hear them, he was being drawn to where it was. But I'm saying he didn't talk about it until afterwards. Like mm. the ship, the ship arrives in the nebula thing and then it sounds like he's discovering that there's a... A transport, a transport conduit, but he stays in that nebula, and that's where the so maybe the Borg came through the transport conduit to him, or maybe he he went through the conduit and we didn't see it. Yeah, that's what I'm annoyed about. Yeah. Um, I would have liked a little bit more there, but to me, it just like looked like because he's in a tiny, tiny little baby shuttle, and they want it to look as imposing as possible. That was I, a cool looking shuttle, though. Yeah, very <laughs> cool. Um, I think it's just a big giant Borg cube, but. Uh, rather than like a I think it's some sort like of a that. base um like what's the Borg Queen's main base like Unimatrix 0 uh no Unimatrix 1 Unimatrix 1 okay yeah. maybe it's the new Unimatrix 1 yeah they could be in hiding in, inside that nebula but if we didn't see Jack go through the transwarp conduit then I'm presuming that ship came through the transport conduit to him. I'd have to go back and watch the scene again. We were too busy nerding out over other stuff to really pay attention to any of the bullshit Jack stuff that was going on anyway. Um, but yeah, so I'm interested to see how that goes. We did see him get plugged in at the end. So there was the a lot of jump cutting back and forward and he gets sort of plugged in and his eyes go black at the end. Very, very reminiscent of uh, when Seven connects up in the artifact in, in season one and becomes like the new Borg Queen for a minute mm. and gets the black eyes and all yeah. that kind of stuff. The so. voice of the Borg Queen, though, to me, sounds just like Alice Cridge. Alice Cridge, it's got to be. Otherwise, it's a fucking damn good sound alike. I don't think it was her on set. I think that was a body double. Yeah. Um, just because there was no... It didn't have her natural movement. We it didn't really move at all, did it? Yeah, we deliberately didn't see her face. It sounded very much like a voiceover rather than... Like, there's a... Just because I'm a... A TV and movie nerd, it's like you can hear when I oh, will, I can hear when something's been ADR'd. Well, you've worked in radio. So. Yeah. So it's like I can hear when it's a microphone on the set recording live, like what we're doing right now, versus where someone's in a booth recording audio that's being put in in post. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The audio of Alice Cringe was put in in post. Mm hmm. And the way that they kept the queen in shadow and shot around her. And obviously Alice Cringe has aged since 19... Well, I guess the last time... 96. Was, the last time we saw her was 2001 in Endgame. In Endgame, yeah. So it's like, how do you explain... Like, she was killed twice. So she like, was she, like 40 or something she, then, wasn't she? she oh, I think she might have been maybe getting more into her 50s. Okay. Because um, Susanna Thompson was the younger of the two. She was, she yeah. She was younger. 
Um, so yeah, so I think how how do you explain the ball queen aging? Like, because obviously Alice Cridge has aged. Mm. Um, so maybe because they spent all their budget on the end of the episode, um, maybe they oh, we're sp- gonna get there. Yeah, they didn't <laughs> want to spend money. Um, you know, having to de-age her and and even perhaps she also like because. The reason Susanna Thompson was hired in Voyager to be Voyager's Borg Queen is because Alice Cridge had a fucking horrible time during First Contact with all the makeup and oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the contact lenses that they both had to wear have metal in them. Oh, really? They have like mercury liquid metal in them that grate against the eye um, that causes severe irritation uh, and all the latex and light contrast. So it's like Alice Cringe had PTSD and just went... No, I'm not coming back for Voyager. So they got Susanna Thompson. She did um, Dark Frontier and Unimetric Zero. But then for Endgame, they reached out to Alice and she went, yeah, I'll have another crack. And Susanna was A, unavailable, and B, was also having her own issues with the Bald Queen makeup. Yeah, of Um, course. So, yeah, I I like that the – I don't think one is superior to the other. I love them both Oh, definitely. They're both their own individual – creepy fucking chick like they're so um uh what's the word like they they're f- not flirtatious but it's like sensual and and sensual and sexy yeah and they're like they 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 flirt you know and and pull you in in that way it's such a creepy disgusting way they're so fascinating to watch. So even Annie, who uh, Annie Wershing, who played the Borg Queen in season two of Picard, I think she did a cool she job. She was very too. interesting. Yeah. Um. I wonder if um if she hadn't passed away in real life, whether they would have gotten her for this role. Because remember, season, well, they they did season two, films, season, season two and two three, three back to back. back to back. So actually, maybe that's what ha- maybe that's Annie Wershing's body, like that we saw in that mm. shot. But out of respect, they're not showing her and they're redubbing Alice oh, Cridge, maybe. I don't know. IMDb doesn't have any credit for no, it's probably a bit too soon. anyone at the yeah, moment. It's a bit too soon. So. But um, no, that'll be very, very interesting to see how that goes. Um, yeah, but no, the, yeah, I, I buy the whole, the whole plot at this point. I don't think the Borg and the Changes are working together. Um, and yeah, the hardest thing to buy is the oh, only only people under twenty five are affected because our our main crew are all old and we need them to save the day. <laughs> um, so I get it. Like I'm not I'm not mad at it by any. any well, means. even Seven and Raffi got left on the Titan. Yeah, with Shaw's body. Shaw is dead. Look, I know everyone's probably mourning, but I just have to say it, and I don't mean this in a in a mean way. But suck it, fanboys. Anyone who was like episode three when they were like, oh, give Shaw and the Titan their own TV show after like three episodes. And I'm just like, calm down. Let's see how the, how the fucking series goes so far. How can you have a series when he's dead? Well, yeah, Shaw, the character, dick. Yeah. But the actor, Todd Stashwick. Oh, fantastic. Excellent. He, like, he did such a brilliant job of playing Captain Shaw in this show. Yeah. Like as much as I hated the character... I actually loved the character as well. He's he's the next generation Jellico. Like he's someone that you'd love to hate. Yeah, I don't think he's that. I don't think he's as bad as Jellico because like there was parts of Shaw I actually liked I at didn't. times. I didn't. Um, but when he died, what happened, Maddie? Do you remember? He called her Seven of Nine. He did. I I hate the way they did that. 
I, I don't. I don't. I think I it think probably it was... should have been done last week. Yeah. But I see why they did do it this week. Seven. Yeah, I understand why they did it. But it's, again, if I was doing the show, I would have done it a little bit differently. It's that final um, bit of redemption. Well, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think. I think in terms like it's what seven was owed. Oh, seven definitely. has been owed it this whole time. I think it's unearned on Shaw's behalf. He called her out. Oh, sorry, she called him out last episode. People have been calling him out about it the whole time. Even in this episode, like five seconds before he was shot, he was calling her Hanson. He's like Hanson, cover me, or you know whatever it was. She got a couple of. She got um, a jab in on him uh, in this episode. Great shots. As well. Um, um, what'd she say? Something about him being old with grey hair or something? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it's like I would have preferred, you know, a moment where, like, if Seven had, no, if, if like, Seven had taken a shot for it, well, like, maybe he jumped in front of the shot to save Seven or she saved him and then he goes, if there was some, if they had some kind of moment where they suddenly had that mutual respect for each other, um, I think him calling her seven of nine as his last words would have been a little more earned. Yeah. But I just think as a character plot for sure, I don't see where it was earned. Just so what to me, the subtext of that is he's a dick and he's intentionally been calling her Hanson just to annoy her. And now that he's dying, like now that he's dead, he's decides he's going to call her seven as his last thing. That doesn't track for his character, but yeah. he is also very, like swings and roundabouts. Like one episode, he's like just the most morbid, depressing cunt on the planet in the universe. And the next, the next episode, he's humming in the turbo lift and having a great time. Like he's, he's got a personality disorder. He's, he's got to be bipolar <laughs> or something. Like he's, he's all over the shop. Fun to watch. Fun, fun, fun to watch. But I wouldn't want to see he, I wouldn't want to see sure leader show. Like no, leader, no. Like Star Trek show. So in the end credits of every episode, there's been all these little graphics and things. Mm. And we've been figuring out what they are as we go. Yeah. Right. So in this episode, uh, LaForge, he called uh, Picard to the sick bay. Uh, and he's got more info on Jack. Yeah. Right. And he's talking and he starts talking about the DNA and all that sort of stuff. But he also talks about how Jack's got like this organic transceiver type of thing in him. And in the end credits, you see like that diamond shape. With like the yeah, think that that is like the signal. Yeah, and remember, remember, I pointed out one of the many episodes where they were like in the bar together. Jack actually made that symbol out of he straws. He drew it, yeah, no, out of no, straws. He, yes. he was like bar straws, and he made it into that sort of diamond with the line through the middle. Um, so they, yeah. there has been all the like they have done quite well in this season of dropping these little hints here and there. I saw a tweet from uh, was it Terry Metalis. Uh, this week that someone had put on Facebook or Instagram or something along mm. there. And Terry was like, we've been dropping all these hints all along because, yeah, and like no one, not everyone's getting it yet. And he left it at that. But obviously now, yes, we can see that there was all these little hints, definitely that it oh, was yeah. the Borg. If you, if you go back to season, uh, sorry, to episode one, it was like, yeah, the first time we see Beverly, she's listening to Encounter at Far Point. Oh, no, I can't remember. Um, Best of Both Worlds. Best of Both Worlds, um, yeah. Captain's Logs. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of mentions of, of Borg along the way and bits and pieces. So, yeah, all the all the breadcrumbs are there. I think it's a little bit hubris for Terry to be like, oh, no one's caught on. Because, well, no, some people did catch on. Yeah, so. but it's also, they've been dropping breadcrumb, but they've also been stretching shit out. Like this... This 
this season should have been maybe six episodes. I feel like there was a lot of filler in the middle there. I think where they didn't actually have enough plot to fill 10 episodes and they couldn't afford 10 episodes. That's why like we, Raffi didn't even really have a lie in this episode. She kind of just had to be there to know that she was being separated from the team. There was that weird thing where Picard, uh, uh, Deanna and Riker like disappeared for a whole episode before we saw them get where they actually get captured. Well, we know where the budget's gone for this season into the CGI for this episode. <laughs> oh, I was going to say into the physical set. <laughs> Yo, within. T- we're, we're going to get to that physical set. We're going to get to that I think that, that would have cost set. more than the CGI. Yeah, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, anyway, yeah, dormant, par- dormant parts of Jack. Yep. Yeah, to- today is finally Frontier Day. Yeah. All right. And what did we see? We saw USS Enterprise F. Yeah. With, and who was in charge of it? Admiral Shelby. Very cool. Throwback to Best of Both Worlds. Very, very cool. Uh, straight away, as soon as I saw her... I was like, oh, but then, but before that though, seeing the Enterprise F on screen for the first time mm. was amazing. Like, obviously, I have seen it in Star Trek Online. Yeah, you have connection. This is my first time ever seeing it outside. It of, is a behemoth. Page. It is like it makes the Sovereign look small. It's a giant space whale, and it is cool as fuck. It, <laughs> it does look very, very cool. Yeah. I, I'm actually surprised because Maddie normally doesn't like the bigger ships. You like. Like Voyager, you like Nova classes, Akira's. Defiance. Yeah, you like those smaller ones. I'm a little little ship guy. I'm the big ship guy. Yeah. I like the fat ones. I can... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I can definitely... Like, I I love Sovereign classes. They look beautiful. I wouldn't want a Captain one. The Sovereign was... Sovereign classes were my favourite class up until I saw the Odyssey class. Yeah. And the Odyssey, again, beautiful lines, very aesthetically, like so much better than all these stupid Neo ships we've mm. been seeing um, leading up to it. So it's great to see um, some more modern looking ships. Um, yeah. it. I mean, it looks a little bit like it's a, a cruise ship, like, you know, like, you know, like Disney cruises, like yeah, a little bit of I that. I see that. It's very, very big, but aesthetically very, very interesting. I'd love to see um, the cannon weaponry that this thing has, because obviously Star mm. Trek Online has... Yeah, lots of different type oh, of weaponry. Yeah, you can basically put whatever the hell you want on these ships yeah. in that. But it'll be interesting to see if we get some canon information mm. on what weaponry it actually does. Because there's a lot too. We saw in some of the bigger, like the wider shots. Oh, there we, what, that wasn't the only Odyssey class yeah. that we saw. And I think this is what I like about, I think the criticisms season one got to is like when... Riker showed up at the end with the Zheng He and just like 4,000 identical ships. It yeah, there was like a 1,000 um, Zheng He's, which, well, in, inquiry class, Zheng, like the Zheng Hei. Yeah, so it just kind which of we like, actually saw the Zheng He in this yeah, one. Yeah, which it looked better. It looked less grey and had a little more I interesting think they, and as they in. They had probably more budget for the CGI because last time it was just like yeah. copy-paste, copy-paste, copy-paste. Yeah, paste. well, I mean, <laughs> they did the same thing here, but at least they they made like say maybe 10 ships and then copy pasted. So that's why we saw a lot of, a lot of the um, Odyssey classes and then a lot of sovereigns and a lot of uh, Sagan class ships. Yeah. But I don't mind that. Cause it's like when you watch DS nine, you might, you'll see three or four galaxies spread around and then some Akira's and Excelsior's in the middle. And, you know, I don't need to see a fleet of a hundred ships and every single one of them be different. We saw a Ross class as well. Yeah. Ross, uh, so yeah, for those that fun. don't know, a Ross class is basically an upgraded um, version of a Galaxy class and of, named after Admiral Ross. Mm. Do you reckon, and I guess this is something that we've been alluding to we're going to get to later, but obviously we, we do see the, the Enterprise D later on in the yes. episode. 
Do you think there might have been, given that the in-universe explanation is, okay, uh, it's the original source of section from Generations that we salvaged and then Geordie's just been like tinkering around with it in his garage, rebuilding it, using parts from other ships and stuff like that. So the, so the bottom half, like the Star Drive section of the Enterprise D is all from different ships and different bits and pieces. Do you think at any point there was a conversation in the writer's room there where, where they went, well, do we put the original Enterprise D dish on the bottom half of a Ross class? Just for shits and giggles. Oh, no. But then they go, no, if we're going to do it, it's obviously got to be all original. It has to be original for them. Yeah. To go in a museum like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That also makes sense in universe. But yeah. um, I feel like, yeah, there could also be an argument for like, well, I mean, assuming, I don't know much about the Ross class, but it's like, if it's similar dimensions, like it might be much, much bigger. Who knows? No, it is very similar dimensions. Okay. Yeah. But it's like, I would almost like to see like, imagine like, yeah, an old school front half of, a galaxy class plugging into the back half of a Ross class. <laughs> just just <laughs> weird, just this weird, um, this weird hybrid looking Frankenstein yeah, nah. starship. That's disgusting. <laughs> so, all right. So we've already, we've spoken about a couple of the different classes that we saw. So we obviously saw Odysseys. We saw Sovereigns. Defiance. We saw Defiance, Sagans. No Intrepids. I'm very upset. No. Yeah, we didn't see any of them. Um, what else did we see? There was one that looked really quite flat and it kind of looked like the Discovery, but not. Yeah, it looked like Discovery if it was flattened out. Like yeah. if it was two-dimensional. It yeah. does look familiar. So it's probably from Star Trek Online yeah, as well. But some of the names of the ships were interesting. Mm. Um, two that really stood out to me were the USS Clark and the USS John Kelly. Mm. Now- not a lot of... I don't know if they deliberately did this or not because they put them on the screen or the two names right next to each other. So in the Jack Ryan universe, which is uh, written by Tom Clancy in the Tom Clancy novels, and they've done a few movies on it and obviously the Rainbow Six games and all that sort of stuff as well. John Kelly was a Navy SEAL and then a CIA agent who the CIA had to actually change his name mm. to John Clark. So the the fact that they put the USS John Kelly and the USS Clark right next to each other on yeah. that, to me, that makes me think that whoever the dude that designed that was is a fan of that as well. Absolutely, because there was, there was a lot of fun stuff in there. There was, you know, the Akuda, there was the Drexler and all that kind of stuff. But there was another USS Clark, which had the same registry number on the other side of the yeah. screen as well. So... So, yeah, so I, I think that was a fun nod because obviously we have different knowledge bases. So when I see the USS John Kelly, my mind went straight to an in-universe character in Star Trek. And that's probably what that yeah, was doing. which is John Kelly, who, if anyone's seen Voyager's uh, One Small Step in Season 6, he was the um, the guy they were listening to the logs of that they found in that um, the subspace like ellipse. And he was like one of the original um, Martian astronauts, you know, in, in Trek's, you know, slight future. Um, and like that was one of the cool one where like Seven was listening to the logs and Seven like put the com badge on him and they beamed his body and gave him a burial in space. So yeah, I almost feel like that was probably the 
the original idea that they went, oh, we're going to name it after this cool. Because obviously and then Terry Metalis worked on Voyager, so he probably worked on that episode. Maybe go, we're going to have a little nod to John Kelly, who was a Martian astronaut in universe. And someone else is a fan of it like you are and went, well, there's also a John Kelly who had his name changed to Clark. So let's make another ship called the Clark. Which is why I think they copied and pasted the USS Clark, which was on the left-hand side of the screen and just inserted it in on the right side. Given that it's the out of all the ships, that's the only one on they the screen, repeated the name of, and had the exact same registry. Exactly, so yeah, that's that's a fun little uh, Easter egg. For like people. and straight, like that stood out to me. Like mm. you know, like headlights straight up. That yeah. that was like bang. Obviously, Maddie didn't get that, and I don't expect a lot of you to get that that are listening. But if you did get that and see it, you know, DM me. Let me know. <laughs> I don't want to be the only one. I'm gonna actually. I'm gonna actually try and DM Terry Metalis and ask about that yeah, myself nice. because. I, um, that was interesting. I have a thought, and it's now we, we've gotten to Frontier Day and we've seen what we can assume is the master plan that's been going on this whole time. Why Why did all the ships have to be gathered for it to happen? Well, so I was thinking that's about... That's haven't been ex- explained to us yet. So was this the master plan of the Changelings or was this the master plan of the Borg? I don't think the Borg have anything to do with anything. I don't think they have anything to do with any of these plans whatsoever. So the Changelings were going to bring it all in and kill everyone a well, certain way? Because there, there's been no... How were they going to kill everyone? Well, they're all in this weird collective now. and But there's there's been no confirmation that any of these new... These under-25s are actually connected to the Borg. There's, there's no confirmation of that. They're potentially just in their own their own collective like yeah. their dna has been activated in their, in their own in the same way seven of nine in survival instinct created her own mini collective of four inside um the collective this could be its own little thing the jack stuff is separate he's gone and sought out the actual the collective queen. yeah yeah i think it would be extremely bad writing and a, too convenient that it's like jack discovers everything that's going on at the exact same moment that the plan is going down on frontier day that the changelings have been have been masterminding this whole time i don't think the borg were involved at all they just they're just being it just happens to be a happy accident what that the borg have you know sort of been activated like through this and the borg didn't even know it was going to happen i guess we haven't seen any borg all we've seen is these organic assimilation 25-year-olds. Yes, but they are a Borg type of thing. Uh-huh, but so is Girardi's Borg, but they're not involved. No, so they're far. not. So I'm just saying Jack is off experiencing the real Borg. Yes. The the techno-organic Borg. There's been no connection yet that anything that's happening on Frontier Day in all these ships has anything to do with, like, the Borg aren't involved. They didn't plan it. They don't know what's going on. No, the Changelings or yeah, the, the hand-faced guy has yeah, planned it. the Changelings have been planning this thing for apparently a decade, you know? And the Changelings figured out that this extra DNA was in Jean-Luc's body yeah. and in Jack, which is why they are after him. And, you know, it's had this yeah. side effect that I guess that they weren't expecting where Jack has taken off yeah. to the actual ball. So, so my question is, is from a writing point of view, I don't understand why the entire fleet needed to be all orbiting Earth 
for it to work. We do get that one quick cutaway to some weird Borg tech and a, and a glowing, sphery thing, but we don't know where that is maybe, or what that's doing. That could be a transmitter. Yeah, I'll say so maybe it has a limited range and that's why all the ships have to be Yeah, maybe bringing um, them all together. into a close but proximity. Where, where is that green thing? that we, we, we saw it, but we don't know where it is. So that's the questions that are that I want to be answered next week. I'm thinking that that is actually with the real Borg because of the greenness. Okay, but if they're that far away and they can transmit that, then why did all the ships have to be gathered around Earth? If, if, it, if it has the range for, to be wherever the Borg are, potentially in the Delta Quadrant or hundreds of light years away. Because they didn't know to transmit to towards Earth, I guess, until Jack got there. I don't think those two things are connected. Okay. Well, we'll find out. I don't think Jack has anything to do with what's happening at Frontier Day. Because the whole last nine episodes has been Vader going, we need Jack, we need Jack, we need Jack for, for Frontier Day. He's nowhere near Frontier Day. What has Jack had to do with Frontier Day? I don't know. Day Maybe I'm all? just thinking too deep in. Yeah. Maybe I am. I don't know. I mean, Jack... Jack has literally had nothing to do with anything that's going on in space dock right now. He's on the other side of the fucking, he's in a trans war pub or whatever, you know? Um, so yeah, that's my thing is, is that green sphere we saw glowing, transmitting something for, for the frontier day gathering to make sense. I think that has to be either in space dock or fucking in the moon or on a, some, has to be somewhere close by that this this transmission to activate everyone's latent Borg DNA that everyone now has um, needs to be somewhere close by. Otherwise, what's the point in having the entire fleet come together? Yeah. I know they're all about, like, they're all grouping together to attack um, Space Dock. But we also don't know, did the original Space Dock didn't, ha- like the one that Geordie has now as the The museum, original Earth Space Dock, yep. That never had weapons, right? That was, that was the thing. It was... It, it didn't have weapons because it was supposed to be like a big sign of peace or whatever. Um, so I'm like, if, yeah, the, if the new one doesn't have weapons, then we wouldn't need a giant fleet to destroy. So yeah, these are just questions that I, I want answered next week. I'm yeah. Just, well, and I'm just putting these little pins up on the cork board and I'm tying a little string to them with my tinfoil hat. And I'm going, <laughs> well, this needs to equal this needs to add over to this. So, well, th- this week has definitely given us some answers that, you and I and everyone else has been seeking. So yes. So a couple of little inter- a little interesting thing here. So Locutus, you know, Locutus of Borg mm-hmm. means the one who speaks. Does it mean the one who speaks, or that's just what they called him? He, well, he, he yeah. was the one who speaks. Cause, and, but because then- one one of his lines in um, Best of Both Worlds was like, "I speak." For- oh no, that was seven and nine that said, "I speak for the Borg" when we first met her. I distinctly remember, you know, Locutus being the one who speaks. And I don't know where I got that from. Until tonight, I'd never heard that expression before. And then Jack is Vox, which is the voice. Mm. So, they're, they're, yeah, they're leaning into this, he's a transmitter. Thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Again, it would make sense if he had to be on space dock and he was the transmitter that transmitted the code to everybody around to activate, but he ain't, he ain't there at the moment while everyone's being assimilated. So yeah, I'm interested to see how they resolve that. So Admiral Shelby, all right, obviously. So she used to be what Lieutenant commander Shelby, 
who they brought in in the best of both worlds. And did she get a promotion by the end? Was she commander by the end? I of best can't of both remember worlds? actually. Either way, she's now an admiral. Mm. Well, she was an admiral. She just got dead. <laughs> she just yeah. got phased twice. And that's that's what I hate about all these new phases, like the the single shot phase rather than the beams. It's like. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the effect they put on the... The two that was put into her chest had the very same, like, CGI effect as the one that killed Shaw. So I, I, I can't see Shelby surviving the two that got put into her chest. Oh, no, you could see clear through um, her. Oh, really? Yeah, you could see clear through, mate. Yeah, see, that's a shame. See, it's a... Look, I don't want to get too, like, quote-unquote woke PC and all that kind of stuff, but it's like, that's two women now that they've... Uh, fridged, which is a, which is a writing term for you know um, killing off women to save the men and all that kind of stuff. It's like they essentially fridged Row, um, and yeah. now and now they've brought back this other female character, um, and they've killed her straight away. I'm like, really? Yeah, it's it's, it's a bit of an icky pattern that I'm saying. At least she see. wasn't a changeling, though. Well, I would have almost preferred that. It's like they. If they've killed Shelby, oh, I hate to say it, but I think they need to have killed Tuvok then. Otherwise, it's it's a little bit icky and unfair well, to, to, to kill these two women and uh, not kill Tuvok. See, uh, anyway, with Shelby, right, she's got this fleet formation mode thing that she's come up with. That is fucking dumb. Mm. All right, I, I completely... I got the in-universe... Um, reasoning for it that if all the crew on ships are dead somehow, they still need to be out because they said that in the episode that they still need to be able to control the ships mm. to defend Earth or whatever. That does make sense, but for someone like Shelby who is so against the Borg and like their hive mind, basically she's turned the fleet into a hive. Mm. Like that was a bit silly. Yeah, it it does. It is it is that classic Trek thing of. And they even mentioned it. It seems to be. As soon as you become an admiral, you, you get dumb. You, you yeah, you lose all intelligence because uh, you many, either become dumb or corrupt. Yeah, like how many corrupt admirals have we had? So, I mean, obviously, off screen, you know, Shelby could have been getting coerced by changelings posing as other admirals and all that kind of stuff into thinking it's a good idea. Um, but yeah, it takes me back to things like. Um, Voyager, when Janeway says, like, well, there's a reason we build a fleet of ships, not a fleet of probes. Yeah. Like, we want to be the ones out here doing these things. Yeah, because they basically turn these ships into probes. Yeah. yeah. It, it also, like, you know, is a little bit like the the latest episode of Lower Decks where old Admiral, what's his name, had those automated Texas-class ships that didn't have any people Admiral on what, Amigo or something on that? Uh, Boin Boy Amigo? Something like that, something yeah. Like, yeah. You know, he had those automated the ships. Texas class, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then on the flip side to that is it's also a bit of an extension of the Prometheus class ships mm. where they had the multi-vector assault mode. So it's like it's that but on a fleet-wide scale. Um, but, yeah, I'm not a fan of – and I didn't even like it earlier in the um, season when, the you know, the Titan was being tracked – because of the automated features in it. That's why they had to go and get the cloak and hide and do all those things. I don't like any of that interconnectivity. I guess because I'm a Voyager guy. So it's like Voyager was on the other side of the galaxy doing its own thing. It never had to interact with other ships aside from like the Equinox. So yeah, I like the idea of ships being 
um, in control of themselves, doing their own thing. I don't like these shutdown codes and all those no, those kind of things. It's it's sort of a like an extension of a IFF um, signal, like a identify friend or foe, which we have in aircraft in the military yeah, and but stuff. That's just now. An identification. You can't take over someone else. No, and that's why I said it's an extension yeah. of. And like in the real world, militaries, we are starting to try and interconnect all of our communications and data capabilities and all of our vehicle platforms and aircraft so they all speak to each other. Mm. And I guess that's what they're doing here, but if they've taken it that step further that they can't just they don't just speak to each other, they control each other. Yeah. So it's Which I, I don't, yeah, it, it's I a don't bit like silly that. and I don't like it because yeah. it, it really does leave you open to what's happened here. Mm. Like, you know, you lose control and all of your ships now are going to target space dock. Yeah. Like, which is not cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I, I hope there's a, a realization at the end where like everyone realizes, oh, we were manipulated by the changelings or whatever. It's actually a really, really dumb idea. Let's scale back a little bit. And it might, they might even be able to then tie that into the whole thing with uh, the way in season one, they were relying on synth to do all their like manual labor mm. and all those kind of things and how that came back to bite them all in the ass. Um, yeah. So there's a certain level of, I mean, maybe we're showing our age as well, but it's also that just that certain level of you get to a certain point of technology where it's like anything beyond that and you go, no, that's taking away too much of my freedom as a, as a human being. Uh, I want to be in control of more of what's oh, I still drive a mental there. car. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, I mean, you know, it'd be interesting to see if they... That's a stick shift for you Americans. If they, if they play around with that. And also, you know, they are playing with, you know, it's very much a, a running theme through the the season has been the old versus the new. Like it's it's all this old crew, and then we, like I was saying last week, we haven't seen anyone over, aside from seven. We haven't seen anyone over the rank of like lieutenant, yeah, up to captain. It's like it's like there's no junior. I think it was Tavine was the only lieutenant. Everyone else has been like ensigns. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen no. Full grade lieutenants at the end, Tavine was full grade, but like no lieutenant commander. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she was. Seven was the only commander, uh, and then everyone else is just like captain and above. Um, so yeah, I think there's there's definitely you know that running theme of, um, you know anyone who ages out something goes oh well, well I'm I'm still valid I'm I'm still good don't don't you know rule out anyone over the age of twenty five we're we're still we're still functional we can do stuff so. Pretty sure a lot of older people, like, and I'm not calling out us older, but older than these 25 year olds, we've got more cunt about us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see it at work all the time. These younger kids, they just don't have that fight about them. Like, I'm my body is busted and broken from 18 years of being an infantryman, mm. right, in the army, fighting wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, and all over the place. My body is broken. I am busted, but. Definitely could beat the shit out of some of these younger kids these days <laughs> because I know I can fight harder than them, mm. even though they're probably stronger. <laughs> it's all about experience. Exactly. And yeah, I think that's that's going to be a theme of this. And isn't next week's episode like called like The Last Generation or something like uh, yes, that? Yes, but you skipped way too so, far ahead there, Matty. Well, no, it's just part of the conversation that we're having. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's definitely going to be more, more themes running through that. Oh, unless that's like a really dark foreshadowing. The last generation. It can't be because we've still got like discovery in the future. So yeah. Okay. Anyway, so during the the takeover of the fleet, mm. the Excelsior crew manages to retake the ship, mm. 
which is cool. And we hear that over the comms. Yeah, great voiceover actor too, Nolan North. Uh, I love him. He does... Huh. Um, for a second, I thought it was like going to be like another memory of someone in Star Trek. So I was listening really, really carefully. And then I realized, no, it's just Superboy from um, Young Justice. Okay, And this is not like the NX2000 Excelsior either. Mm. This is like a newer... Which would have been fun because... Like, well, that was at the museum. That would have been a ship that was kind of not part of this whole automated thing. It would have been nice if there was maybe one or two ships in the fleet that weren't part of this automation. Who were well, that sort of, you know. totally explains why we've got all these newer style ships, really, mm. that were in this fleet. But there were Defiance there, you know, as well. Well, were they so- Defiance or were they... Th- there's a new version of the Defiant, which is in um, Star Trek Online, which I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but it looks very Defiant. It's just a bit more wide. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, it, I, it was I hard saw, to tell. I saw three or four of them. They looked pretty traditional Defiant to me, so... Um, yeah, who knows? Yeah, I'll have to have... I'll, I'll Google that later and have a look and mm. show Maddie. You know, we, can, we can talk about it later. But uh, one thing that Seven said when they were on the Titan just before they really get away, mm. she says, the robot's right. That was a good moment. <laughs> like Just a look on Data's face. He was like full confused puppy. Like She called him a robot because... And it's not her being disrespectful at all. It's just because she doesn't know who Data is to people, I think. And, like, as yeah. much as she's been disrespected a lot over the years and in this, especially by Shaw and things, mm. I think hopefully we get some sort of a, I don't know, some sort of a an apology to Data almost. Well, I don't think it'll happen. No, God, no. That was just a comedic moment. Yeah. That's all that was. There'll be, there'll be nothing. That was... Which is funny, considering the, like technically Seven is more of a robot than Data is at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's just uh, like because I think that might have been their first interaction. Is have they? I don't think Seven and Data. Have no, they haven't really, point. have they? Yeah. Um, so that was kind of. I think it was just a way to be like, oh well, if you've only got you know seven people standing in a corridor, um, we need to make sure everyone acknowledges each other and has their lines. Like there was, there was a line Seven had in the whole in the turbo lift where she kind of just assumed what Beverly knew in sickbay, that, oh, it's only attacking people under t- under the age of 25. They hadn't communicated that to anybody, but then suddenly Turbolift go- 7 goes, well, because of all your grey hair, you guys must be immune. Like, I'm like, she wouldn't know that. <laughs> she wouldn't know that. And then, obviously, we it must have happened off screen, but it's like when the Turbolift doors open... And everyone like has their standoff, and Dana's like, "Oh, I've never been so glad to see so many wrinkles." But it's like, well, she's with Beverly there. They've all, you know, gathered up at some point, so maybe they've been filled in that it's only people under the age of twenty-five are, yeah. are going to be Borg. So like that, I kind of bought. But as smart as Seven is, that's a big leap for her to go. Oh, because of your grey hair, you're fine. Like, <laughs> come on, mate. Anyway, so the main Enterprise D crew. From the next generation, they all escape in a shuttle. Yeah. Right. And Geordie takes them somewhere. And, you know, Jean Luc's like, where are we going? Or where are we? And they're at the Starfleet Museum. Mm. And we finally get to see what is in Bay 12. Yep. We go inside and we get this awesome sweeping shot where it's in the dark, but then it, all the lights start to come on. It's the fat one. It's the fat one, the Enterprise D. And it looked beautiful. It really did. Like, this is a full CGI Enterprise D. 
And the looked, detail in it was amazing. And looked so much better than what it did in season one. With however they... Like, that was a full CGI model, like, kind of stuff. But it just... It looked a little off somehow. They put the money into this. The CGI yeah. money is gone into this episode. Yeah. I will, I will say, Terry... Terry, 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 if you're listening, Terry, listen, listen, look. Terry, listen. Listen, listen, te- listen, Linda, listen. Um, I've given you a lot of shit this season about every time we have to go back to that fucking 10 forward, whether it be the real 10 forward or a holographic 10 forward. Oh. But, bro, I get it now. You were saving money so that you could rebuild the Enterprise D bridge and then also give us some beautiful CGI shots. And the Enterprise D you bridge. Are, you are, hold on, hold on, hold on. Terry, uh, Terry, Terry, Terry. I forgive you. You are forgiven. This is big. <laughs> Maddie's forgiving. Maddie doesn't normally forgive it. like this. No, no. I am a, I'm a rider. Like, you cross me, I will cut you like a bitch. You're, you know. Um, wow. No, like, I, Terry, like, you've just come into some sort of weird club <laughs> now where Maddie's forgiven you. I don't know it's if you know how big this is. Su- suffering through those middle <laughs> episodes where things got real rough, um, I feel like was worth it for. And I always understand why Terry waited until now to direct an episode because it's like, oh yeah, if you're someone who a is a Trek fan, like he obviously is, has worked on the shows, um, if you're gonna get the OG seven back on the bridge of a of a recreated uh, uh, galaxy class bridge, the D bridge. You're going to be the one of the one that you're going to be want to be the one that's directing that, you know. So you know what, Matty? You want to listen to um, Gates McFadden's latest podcast, Investigates. Mm. She talks to Terry Metalis oh, really? in that, and I listened to it this week, and he explains all the, how he became involved in Star Trek and all that sort of stuff, and his history with Star Trek. It's actually really good. Yeah, Those cool. of you like, I'm going to plug another podcast here. Go listen to Investigates, uh, Gates McFadden's podcast. Terry Metalis, yeah, great episode. Really, yes. really good. So anyway, they explained that they had to remove the Enterprise-D saucer section from Viridian 3 um, because Viridian 2 had a pre-warp civilization on it. Yep. Um, and they didn't want to disturb that system yeah, and violate the Prime Directive. Because, yeah, at a certain point, you know... They're going to travel to that planet. Yeah, because they're going to explore their solar system. Yeah. It can, it can hold... You know, life. carbon-based life. So it's not like us traveling to Mars, where we, you know, we've all got to be in suits. So it's like well, we live in a dome. Yeah, ma- imagine if, imagine if Mars was completely habitable. Like yeah. once we could eventually travel there, we would, and we'd start settling there. So yeah, it makes sense to um, to remove it, to remove all that, and then also, you know, they kind of set it up a few episodes ago at Daystrom Station, where well, they retrieved Kirk's body from Viridian Three. So it, would it makes make me sense that wonder how long it took Starfleet to actually recover the saucer section from Viridian Three too. Because, yeah. like, obviously, if they could have recovered it rather quickly and then rebuilt it or added and added a new Star Drive section to it, we would never have got the E. Yeah, if yeah. they could have done it really quickly. Yeah, so. I assume it would have taken a long, long time. I don't think they would have like disassembled it and then brought it. Like, I'm assuming at a certain point when they had enough like tug ships or something like that, like four tug ships in low orbit have just like hit it with a, a tractor, tractor beam, beam yeah. and just slowly pulled it up and taken it away. Yeah, in my mind, this was like Geordie's passion project as well. Like yeah. over the last 20 years, he's been out there after work hours, yeah, on the wrenches, rolling the sleeves up. <laughs> Yeah, getting a lander out there and um, teaching her the old ways. He did say he's been working on it for the last twenty years, so I guess he became like head of the Starfleet Museum. 
pretty quick yeah. at some point. Oh. Uh, so you might have still been a, a commander or, or, or something like that um, at that point. Yeah, like, who knows? But Who knows? Maybe, but, um, maybe he just towed it with him wherever he went. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, obviously he was very much like a classic guy. He's like, I'm not going to give you the generations bridge with the extra stations to the left and right and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to give you like OG bridge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And but this- Well, Mark II bridge because he didn't bring back those horrible season one uh, helm and navigation seats where they're basically in recliners. No. And, <laughs> yeah, and this also had the little seat on the side next to Deanna's chair for Beverly to sit on as well. Not that she did. She just stood were at they, the back. Were all they the not room. always there? Nope. Oh, er- early on, they weren't there. Ah, I always... Because Voyager has that too. Like, Voyager has uh, Janeway and Chakotay seats and then there was, like, little extra seats yeah, on the little side perches. where, like, Kess and Neelix would sit every now and then. Um, yeah, I, d- I didn't realise that those little um, extra little bits. Yeah, ha- have a look early on in Next Generation and... Oh, God, I'm not going back anything pre-season three. Oh, Come on. Even then, I think they're not there. Yeah, interesting. But, yeah, anyway, the Star Drive section that they put on it was from the USS Syracuse. Hmm. So, Worf did say that he... Uh, Preferred the E. That's fine. Right. And the E had additional phases and weapons. And, and quantums. <laughs> um, but then there was that other line when they're in the shuttle approaching it and they talk about, oh, he's like, oh, uh, Geordie's like, oh, well, I would have gotten the E, but, and they all kind of look at Worf and he's like, it wasn't my fault. That wasn't my fault. Yeah. So at some point, Worf, w- w- Worf was the captain of the E in yeah. Star Trek Online, I think it was. Yeah. Um. Or definitely, it was in something not canon, but obviously it seems to be canon that he was the captain and something, you know, obviously happened to the Enterprise-E and it got destroyed, which is why we haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, Damn it, now I can't find it. I was going to... What are you after? Just, it was was a soundbite that I sent to you that I think is very important that we play in this episode because it was an issue that I had with what... Wharf was rocking. When did you send it to me? <laughs> uh, just just in, a, um, in, a, in our group chat. Oh, okay. Um, this is just something that I've been saying to Wharf since maybe last week. You don't get to be a captain wearing a gold uniform. <laughs> that actually played really well through the microphone. Samsung, mate. <laughs> i got a Samsung They're too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, thank you, um, Michael Eddington. A cute moment on the bridge of the Enterprise D. Mm. Data, hello chair. Yeah, that takes me back to DS9. One of my favorite moments is when we get the the second Defiant, the Sal Polo, and everyone leaves Cisco to like Ross. Admiral Ross is like, "Hey, get to know your new ship." Everyone leaves, and he sits down in his chair on the bridge, and he goes, "Hello, ship." And you know, ever since I saw that when I was a kid in like nineteen ninety nine, I do that in every new car. Every time I get a new car, hello car, I sit in it, and I'm like, "Hello car." And I get to know it. And I get to know it. So that was a very, very, very nice moment for Data to be able to be like, hello, chair. It was nice to be on a bridge, though, with some lighting. And carpet! Yes, Picard was like, I missed carpet. Of all the things, standing here in front of all of you here together again, finally, I realised the thing I missed the most was the carpet. And he's right. Starships need carpet. So I'm actually wondering how big that bridge set actually is because when I was listening to Gates's podcast, mm. she said that the bridge itself yeah. of the Enterprise D, the set wasn't that big and it looks huge, right? Well, there was that line where they said, um, where Riker goes, is it smaller or have I just gotten bigger? And then someone says, no, no. I think Beverly says, no, no, it's perfect. 
It looks perfect to it me. It does. Scale-wise, it looks it looks fantastic. The reason I say that is because when she was talking about um, like the bridge of the Titan, mm. apparently the bridge of the Titan is absolutely huge. The set is yeah. massive. There's a lot of dead space on that. Yeah, on that it ship. is massive. I think that's one of the reasons that and all the metal is one of the reasons why it looks so like and like stale and just. Um, hospitally and and there's no warmth to it there's no. no like it's not a space that i want to be in but it's like you go to the Vo- voyages bridge the defiance bridge enterprise d's bridge even the e's bridge yeah i, I want to see the f's they feel, bridge they feel left in well we we saw just the chair we yeah, saw no, no, we sorry. saw um uh admiral shelby in her chair and when a couple of like frosted gl- glass doors why odyssey her. class on star trek online yeah. the bridge the bridge is huge yeah they're, they're, they're massive. Yeah, I mean, you, you they could have put in that. You could have told us that Commander Shel, uh, Admiral Shelby was, like, sitting in space dock giving that speech, and you, you would have believed it for all you saw of that bridge. Like, you didn't see anybody else working any stations, and it was a very, very tight shot. Um, on just her and a chair and some doors behind her. So yeah, it, would, it would be very nice to see the bridge of... Originally, of early on, too, when we started getting trailers of Picard Season 3... We in the trailer we saw like a shot of the Enterprise F, and there was all this talk about that it was going to be like at Frontier Day and the decommissioning ceremony of the Enterprise F. Yeah. They didn't mention anything about that here. No, and I assumed you you told you were the one that told me about that, and, and I'd I ass- seen that online. Yeah, I just assumed that was factual canon information that had been given to us, but maybe Apparently, it was just a, a, a fan theory. Maybe they saw shots of the F and some fireworks and went, oh, it's going to be a decommissioning ceremony or something like so that. I, so I'm right. hoping that the F doesn't get destroyed because it's a beautiful ship and I want to mm. see that ship on the screen again. Yeah. I want to see it on the big screen in a movie. <laughs> yeah, that could be fun. Because like, we got some sexy shots of that ship. Absolutely. Like, yeah, you know, when I saw the F, I got like, I always, when I see these star, these sexy starship shots, like when the first time I saw the Enterprise E down the right side of my face, it goes all tingly and down my right arm. That's a heart attack, mate. That's the left side, isn't it? I don't know. I got the same thing seeing the F and the same thing seeing the D again today. Yeah, nice. Like it was amazing. Yeah. Like it just, it brought back these feelings for me from, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Like it was, it was great. Yeah, and that's, and that's what the show should be doing. Like if, if it should have been doing that since season one. Yeah. When, when all these shows come back, when they reboot all these shows that were massive, you know, 20 years ago, if you're going to bring them back, that's, that. this is the kind of stuff you have to do. This is, if, you, if you're going to do something for your established fan base, this is the way to do it. Like this is, this is the way. so So, you know uh, i think i think a lot of uh shows that have come back could learn from from episodes like this Mm -hmm. uh as as many issues as i had with other episodes in this season um there's very little issues i had with this episode that was there was a lot in there and i think it's gonna age well i think there's there's a lot of rewatchability in that episode i'm watching it again tonight (laughs) i'm touching myself tonight (laughs) Um, <laughs> yeah, jokes. that's, um, that was fun. So that, that definitely gives me hope based on the down spiral that I've been on in the last maybe four episodes. Um, yeah, it gives me hope for, for this last episode that it's really going to, um, come home with a bang. There was one nice little touch that they put in at the end there, which I want to talk about. And 
Major Barrett. Her voice was so good. back in there. So good. So and you gave me a great bit of info while we were watching. Yeah. To me, it just sounded like in the same way they reused audio earlier on of, of Picard hearing his locutor speech. I thought, oh, they've just grabbed no, that no, audio so from Next Generation because it sounded very much like when, uh, not to go back to Jellicoe, but it's like in the Chain of Command two-parter, it's like Picard hands over command to Jellicoe and they have the formal ceremony and he hands it back and you hear the computer say, you know, blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah, so before Major Barrett died, yeah, I can't even remember what year that was. It was a few years ago now. Yeah, um, she, she actually recorded a whole bunch of stuff so she could be used as ship's computer voices forever. I love that so much. And do you know what? Retroactively, that makes me so much more angry. That they haven't used her voice? Yes, especially for the JJ films. because So, yeah, so the, the first JJ Star Trek film was 2009. So yes. Major would have had to have passed away before that because I remember there was a conversation about when, the, when they were being made. People said, well, Major's not here to voice the the ships anymore so a, a big group of the fandom said well the person that should be doing it is now marina certis oh be- that would have been cool because it's this nice way to like it's like well yes major was the ship's voice major was also luxana troy diana's mother so it would have been a nice handover for then diana to suddenly be the new voice in this new um, this new Kelvin timeline, and they didn't do it, and I think that was a missed opportunity. But then to now know that there was potentially some audio—I mean, maybe it didn't give them everything they needed—but it's like there was an opportunity there for to have Major Barrett. Not that Major Barrett computer audio was used in the in the Kirk area. I get that, but it would have been a nice touch. So it kind of makes me even more angry at, at JJ. This is—I just—I'm just clicking around here on um, IMDb right now, mm. and it's got the name of the lady who is the Titan's computer voice. Yes, I've seen that a few times. Amy Earhart. Yes, yeah. She has been married to Terry Metalis since November the 11th, 2006. Oh, are you kidding? Yeah. How funny. (laughs) That's really cool. Very nice. But, yeah, the showrunner, so the original showrunner of The Next Generation, yeah, Gene Roddenberry, his wife is playing the voice of the computer. That's fun. That is really cool. super fun. That that's a nice little uh, yeah you know continuation. That's yeah. awesome. But no, it was it was very nice to hear that ship's computer again. I almost glossed over it just because, like, literally in the last week, I've probably watched five episodes of DS Nine and two episodes of Voyager, just because that's what I do. Like, if I've got a spare forty minutes, I'm going to watch an episode of Star Trek. So I'm so used to hearing Majel's voice all or the Stargate. Time. No, I only no? watched no. watch that one. You're too stargated <laughs> at the I'm, moment. I'm not watching that for fun. When I have to watch a, an episode and and do research and cut audio and do audio commentaries on a week. For those basis. that don't know, Maddie and a couple of the other boys, and sometimes occasionally myself, um, I'm not really involved in this one. They do another show called Get Into Gate. Mm-hmm. And they've basically watched, what are we up to now? Season what? Uh, season nine of... Uh, SG-1 and season two of Atlantis. And they do this, what we're doing right now for every episode. And they've got like yeah. a person that's a new watcher for of the, the episode. Like seven years we've been doing it. It's yeah, been a long but time. it's cool. Yeah, it's fun. So, yeah, no, I, I don't watch um, Stargate for fun because, A, if I'm watching an, it's episode, like work. an episode fresh, <laughs> well, like 
I don't want to go back and watch Wind of Opportunity because it's just oh, I love that episode. It's going to confuse me with where I am now. I kind of have yeah, to live in the season. So yeah, my my pleasure watching is is DS Nine and Voyager. So it's like I've I literally watched a bunch of DS Nine and Voyager episodes this week in in my downtime. So I almost missed the moment that was Majel's voice. Because, oh, I didn't because to me it it didn't seem out of out of place because I'm so used to hearing. I hear her voice every week. Yeah. So it took me a moment to go, oh, fuck. Where I'm not watching an old... Because we're on the D bridge, I'm like, oh, that's right. I'm not watching an old episode. No, we're watching brand new stuff. I'm watching a brand new episode of, of Star Trek made in 2023 with Major Barrett's voice. Made me very happy. Yeah. No, that it was a beautiful thing to that hear. Was perfect. Because necessar- you didn't necessarily need it. They could have just had that, the chime, the little beeps and chimes. He didn't necessarily have to talk to the computer to activate the ship. Well, and it co- but and they it, did. And, and it called him Captain Picard and he's like, oh, I'll take the demotion. Yeah, which is what made me thought it was um, reused audio. Um, but I mean, obviously, I'm sure Majel at, at no point would have had, like recorded an Admiral Picard or anything like no, that. No, probably not. But um, but yeah, just such an, a nice touch. Yeah, no, it, it was brilliant. Yeah. I absolutely loved this episode. Really well done. There was so much in it for old fans. Like I've been watching this show since I was a kid. Mm. Um, I used to sit there and watch it, yeah, you know, with my parents if it was on. You know, I had a few years off it, and then you know, in high school I started really watching Star Trek again mm. with like Maddie and yeah, you know, one of our other friends. That's and when stuff. I was introduced to it. it was probably had to be eighth, eighth grade, ninth grade when, yeah. when I was introduced to Star Trek for the first. And then I introduced you to Stargate. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. I absolutely did introduce you to Stargate. No, you didn't. We've discussed this before. Yeah, we were talking about it last week. First time I saw the Stargate film was with Robin before I even... No, met no, I, like like properly got you into Stargate. Like you, you'd seen little bits, but properly got you into it. Well, that was me. Okay, mate. <laughs> anyway, back on to this episode. On IMDb, it's currently got a rating of 9.5 out of 10 with 1.3 thousand, so 1,300 votes so far. What do you give this episode out of 10, Matty? I don't know. I'm not a big rating guy. No, I know you're not. But like for me, this is in probably the top 10 episodes of Star Trek I've ever seen. Like, oh, not not for me. Only because you, I would totally get that for you being the, the next generation fan that you are. Um, I enjoyed this, but yeah, I didn't. Like I said, if, if, if this episode had the filter of the DS9 crew or the Voyager crew doing it, I would have been a blobbering mess on the floor. I would have just not been able to handle how amazing it was. But I have a little bit of separation from these characters, so I enjoyed it. It was fantastic, but yeah, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be in my top ten. Like nothing this season would be in my top ten Star Trek of, of all time. But that's not a diss. I'm not saying it's bad. Um, it's just I don't I don't have that emotional connection to it uh, the way I do episodes that I've been rewatching since you know the '90s. Yeah, okay. So but, um but I think you could probably say it's it's up there in the in the top couple of episodes for this season without a doubt. Even on um, uh was it Rotten Tomatoes in obviously we generally hate Rotten Tomatoes because mm. their stuff is usually pretty crap with their ratings. Yeah. But on their tomato meter it's uh this season overall it's got a 98% and yeah. an audience score of 89. Yeah. So it's tracking. Oh, it's, it's, it's been a massive improvement over season one and two. Well, um, I, I've given this episode a 10 uh, purely because of all those yeah. like bits that you know we 
we got to finally give us some answers. Plus, we got all those member berries yeah. and those throwbacks. All of that, it it really was great. I loved this episode. It's the best episode of Star Trek Picard that we've seen out of any of the seasons so far, in my opinion. I think so. I think just in terms of the enjoyment and watchability, I think, I think so. I mean, even... I think even the worst episode of season three of Picard is probably better than some of the best episodes of season two of Picard. Um, I still very much enjoy Nepenthe from season one, but I also fast forward through the the non Deanna scenes, like the because that's the same episode where they kill Hugh. Yeah, and I'm like, that's fucked. They shouldn't have killed Hugh. Um, so yeah, but it's it's definitely up there. Like this this whole season has been as much as I've griped over the last three or four episodes. Like it's still it's still good. But this this is the level, like this episode, this is the level that I've been expecting the whole season. So I think that's why I've been more critical of the last three or four episodes is because they can get to this level. Like every episode should be like this. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, I, I honestly, I just think they had a story that maybe was only enough content. Ugh, I hate that word. Um, <laughs> maybe only enough script for six episodes, but they were forced to stretch it out into ten um, for budgetary and production reasons. So that's why there was sort of that fall off. But the it's a phrase I use a lot. The juice is worth the squeeze. And it's like we suffered through the squeeze of, you know, the last couple of episodes. The juice we got in this episode was worth it. Oh, it was great. Absolutely. Absolutely loved it. Okay, anything else you want to talk about with this episode, Matty? I was done 20 minutes ago, man. Okay, cool. I just wanted to let you just froth out. Loved it. Yeah, I next week I hope we get to see a lot more. Like obviously this week I, I really did froth over a lot of the ships uh that come in from Star Trek Online. Loved it. Yeah. Got to see a lot of this on on the big screen for the first time. Really great that we've turned like because a lot of these ships in Star Trek Online were designed by the fans. Yeah. Like the Enterprise F, the Odyssey class, was designed by fans. That's right. Yeah, I remember. It that. was a competition that they had. Yeah. Um and for that guy to be able to see that ship in an actual episode, that in, would be amazing. In that porn too, like that ship porn yeah. of it coming out of space dock, the fireworks. Like this is the only other time we've... I mean, I, I can't be certain in terms of any of the Kirk stuff, but it's like this is the only other time we've seen a ship get fireworks around it except for like when Voyager made it home, mm. you know, in that alternate future. So it's like that was cool. That was a really, really cool... And for, for a ship that like anyone who's watched the shows has zero connection to like me. I've never seen that shit before. I've never played the game. I have zero connection to it, but it's like, that was just cool. Like I, I got the reverence like, and that's, I think that's part of the core identity of Trek is when we talk about ship porn, it's the reverence for the ship itself. The ship is a character. Like there's those, the ship absolutely is a character. There's a, there's a great line um, in Voyager where seven talks about, it's like, no, Voyager is our home. It it protected us. It, you know, and so there's there's always been that connection to the ships, and I think that's what a lot of like you know your discoveries and your early Picards. It's like your family home. Yeah, it didn't have that, so it's like um, to get for me to feel connected to the the um, the F already. Like I go, yeah, I want to see, I want to see more of that. I want to see more of that ship. I want to, you know, find out about its history. How, how long has it existed? Is it being decommissioned or is it fairly new? Like what, what's going on? Like, I, I want to know these things because 
the reverence has been built into the show just from those couple of moments. So I'm like... Even if it does get decommissioned, there are plenty of other letters left in the alphabet, mate. Indeed. Yeah, and we've got... There's a cup, There's two different uh, variations on the Odyssey class. Mm. Um, the Yorktown class they, and... can't remember the other one. They are trapped into the... Is it the J, though? Was it the J that we saw in Enterprise? It was, yes. Yeah, so they're trapped into that one. But... Uh, we've still got three more before... <laughs> <laughs> What, what that was what 30 32nd century or was it 29th like no it's 32nd century yeah. yeah something like that anyway all right so next week's episode is called the last generation the last episode right yeah anyone listening to this if you jump into my dms before i have seen next week's episode and spoil anything for me i'll fucking hunt you down this man owns many weapons well, not just that. Is, I'm trained. He's trained. He's trained to use these weapons. <laughs> I will hunt you down wherever you are in the world and I will do unspeakable things to you. And maybe your dog. I don't know. Whoa. <laughs> hey, now. If John Wick taught us anything, you don't mess with people's dogs. <laughs> anyway. All right. That's a bit about it from us. Uh, guys, girls. Uh, girls, no. guys, and Janais. I told you, you it's supposed to be you that's by, doing this. By episode 10, you'll have it nailed. Rightio. Where can we find you on socials, Matty? Uh, at High Pitch Matt on Instagram. H-I-G... Oh, I fucked it up. <laughs> Go on, have another crack. At High Pitch Matt on Instagram. H-I-G-H-P-I-T-C-H-M-A-T-T-Y. And you can find me at Geek in Camo. That's about it for us. We're out until the last generation. Fucking love that episode. Get into geek.